With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Glad you could join me today. Got a terrific show lined up for you. Arturis Karnisivas is one of the most fascinating people in basketball right now. He's had a long career. He's currently the general manager of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Before that, he was a decorated player at Seton Hall, came over from Lithuania, didn't speak much English, uh, played the 1992 Olympics, went up against the Dream Team, so he's got a lot of great stories, and he shares a few of them with us over the next 45 minutes or so. So stick around right now, the Vertical Podcast with Arturis Karnisipas. My guest this week is Arturis Karnisipas, the uh, general manager of the Denver Nuggets. Arturis, thanks for joining me here. Thanks for having me. So you were recently promoted to the GM job in Denver. When, when you think back to where you started, you know, growing up in, in Lithuania, going to Seton Hall, uh, you know, how, is it surprising to you that you're here right now in this job, you know, doing what you're doing? Well, it's been a journey. Uh, I've been in basketball all my life, but I never could have imagined that I'm going to end up where I am today. And I'm very fortunate to be in this position. So... I mean, being an 18-year-old, uh, you know, Lithuanian kid that didn't speak any English, came here and played for Seen Hall and, you know, and got an education and then played pro overseas. I mean, it's been a long journey. When you were growing up, was playing professionally always the dream? Um, well, you know, I grew up around basketball. Uh, grew up in a country that the basketball is number one sport by a mile and uh my father played so i've been in you know in gyms and locker rooms around uh, you know ball bouncing all the time so um you know it's been it's been a blast was your father influential in in pushing you towards basketball well you didn't have to push i mean the country is surrounded by basketball and you know if you're if you were a boy, you want to be a basketball player. Mm. So um, I've dreamed, and very early uh, I figured out that you know basketball could be something that I will do because I was pretty successful in uh, youth categories and uh, started playing well very early. So you were um, you mentioned Seton Hall, and you know now Seton Hall has had its ups and downs, but back when you went there, PJ Carlissimo coaching that team, that was a strong strong program back then how did you get connected to Seton Hall well I I played for um at that time for junior Soviet team uh, that came to the states to do to play like 11 games friendly games with like high school all-stars and we did uh like exhibition 11 games and I think you know that's where he saw me 
Um, I watched uh, Scene Hall in Final Four in 88-89 campaign. That's how I remember the actual school. And, um, yeah, from that's, you know, the fact the fact also was that uh, it was hard to imagine that I'm going to go to college because there there was never a Soviet athlete that actually went to to college in the States. So it was something unheard of. So it was a long process, um, and and uh, well, I finally got there. It's actually a long story, <laughs> long story from uh, you know KGB history and you know being the first one to um, to show the way for other you know athletes uh, that you can play sport and get an education. That that was new. When you decided to go play at Seton Hall, was it difficult to, uh, you know, I don't know what you needed. Did you need permission to go? Did you need to, how did you get over there? So, you know, I was 18. So, you know, every, every, you know, I was young and a lot of times I was ignorant. Um, during this process, it was... We all uh, are to some degree. Yeah. So I had to, I think, uh, with the team that I was coming... Um, we were going to play exhibition games and I was going to stay. Um, again, it's, it wasn't heard of. It's like defecting, you know. So I spent three days in Moscow literally waiting for their decision. You know, they're going to let me go or they're going to send me somewhere. Um, so it took them three days to make a decision and they decided to, you know, allow me to go. Because uh, right before that, there was a decision of Sharunas uh, Marcellones going to Golden State. And there was the same situation where, you know, somebody up there <laughs> decided to let him or allow him to go and play professional, uh, professionally in the, in the States. So he went to play pro and I went to play college. How big a star was Marcellones back in those days? Well, they were, you know... He was huge. I mean, I think uh, Sabonis and Marcellones, they were two biggest stars, in, you know, in our country. Uh, athletes that every kid growing up and playing basketball looked up to. So uh, I got a chance to play for the team that Trunas played, and he, like, took me under his wing and, you know, showed me the ropes. And I think I was I started when I was 16 mm-hmm. playing with men, so... If they didn't let you go and play at Seton Hall, where do you think your career would have gone? I think I would would have stayed locally and I would play for two local teams that, you know, that, again, every kid wants to play. At that time, it was a Soviet Union championship. So I would have probably just stayed and stayed locally. And uh, that's when the... The time around in 1989 when uh, they were allowing athletes to go and play already pro in, in Germany, in Spain. Uh, so the, the gate opened uh, at that time. So I think I would have probably also uh, play, uh, you know, somewhere in Europe. Going to Seton Hall, um, you, clearly you wanted to do it, but not speaking English, going over to play in in a foreign country, I mean, what was the early days of that experience like? Well, it was hard. I think the first year was just, uh, you know, there were no cell phones. <laughs> so so I would write letters, uh, you know, to my parents, to my friends, uh, wait for the letters to come back, uh, sometimes get on the phone and be fortunate. I stayed with a family uh, um, in uh, Oakhurst, New Jersey, um, with Vida and Evo. Um, so, you know, first year was probably most difficult because I, I was away from home. I mean, and it took, uh, I think, for me, three years to actually come back to Lithuania because of, you know, what was happening, um, you know, the freedom. And, you know, while it was Soviet Union, they were pursuing me uh, to go to army and threatened me to put me in jail and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been... And also my freshman year, actually, that's when uh, um, the war actually started with Kuwait. So that was interesting, you know. Um, so there were a lot of things going on the first two years. So did they want you to come back 
and and you said join the army and, and be part of that. They were sending letters to my parents and uh, saying that you know if your son is not going to go to army, we're going to put him in jail for you. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, yeah, I was afraid to actually come back. And uh, in 1992, uh, when uh, you know Lithuania uh, was already free, and for the first time we put together a national team to compete in 92 Olympics. That's that was the first time I came back, and it was like this, you know, herd puppy, you know, walking around in uh, in Lithuania, and you know, are they gonna take me away <laughs> somewhere? You know, so it was very emotional. Did your family ever come visit you when you were in in New Jersey at Seton Hall? I yeah, they did. Um, my father came, and uh, it was interesting times because I also was a bunch of uh, demonstrations uh you know with Wayne free now <laughs> in dc in new york uh at the same time trying to play basketball and um you know um, so i mean a lot of memories during that time so a lot of a lot of stuff i didn't realize until until now uh, a lot of people were telling me stories even how I was enrolled in Scene Hall, you know, when uh, at that time, you know, um, how they accepted me and took a chance at me uh, by not knowing, you know, what what grades I had, what, you know, uh, and I w I'm so appreciative now to know all that stuff later on to be then, you know, Big East Scholar of the Year two times in a row mm -hmm. um, and play pretty well for them. When you when you come over to a major college program like that, I mean, without speaking English, what's your what tactics do you use to learn English? I mean, what's your well, they took a lot of classes that didn't count for my graduation, so I took it as a second language. Mm -hmm. But I literally uh, walked in a American history class, and I couldn't, uh, so I was struggling to take notes, and I, I just felt embarrassed. So I said, I will never feel like this again. So for first year, uh, most of my classes were math because, you know, the education in Lithuania, you know, was pretty strong. So I can survive on math and calculus and until they told me I cannot take any more classes, <laughs> I have to uh, major in math. Um, you got to be the only student I know that wanted to take more <laughs> math classes, I got to tell you. It was easy for me. So, um, but it took me a year probably to be um, proficient and then I took, you know, English one and English two. Um, didn't didn't have to struggle later on. So, and you, all the while you're you're playing for PJ uh, there. I mean, what was that experience like? Well, it was great uh, because all I cared is obviously to play and to play minutes. Uh, you know, it was great to play for PJ because I started pretty much every game. Um, he trusted me from uh, freshman year, actually. Um, we played our freshman year against UNLV in Seattle in the final eight uh, mm -hmm. for them to make it to final four. So it's interesting to sit here and see the the banner of 1991 that they went to final four. But um, so, you know, playing for PJ and now, now, you know, you know, he's around, you know, USA basketball and has been coaching obviously in the NBA for a long time. And, and him being a broadcaster, seeing him on the sidelines, so it's 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 fun. It's was fun. the college game a big adjustment? You know, playing U.S. brand basketball. It was actually. I tell these funny stories because you know they they use this basketball element as a Euro step right now. You know, from you know James and Dwayne Wade that took over, and it, they they weren't calling travel when we came in the early nineties. That was a traveling call given. You know. So I stopped doing it. <laughs> so now it's an element that, you know, they came up with uh, and it's very uh, effective in transition and uh, when, you know, when players drive. So you had the Euro step in your game, but just took it out. Because well, in it Europe, it's called just the, the step. Steps, right? It's like Chinese food in China. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So, I mean, that's something that you work on, uh, you know, when you go th through player development, through, uh, you know, high school and something that they teach you. Mm -hmm. Euro step, it's basically change directions from mm -hmm. one side to another. And the college lifestyle. 
I enjoyed college life. Uh, you know, I guess it's easier to get used to something when you come to obviously the states. Uh, you know, listening to people that come from Lithuania and go to a supermarket and they see, you know, uh, food sections and the the choices that they have, and you know, they cry in food section. <laughs> You know, seeing oh, well, there's so many choices of cheese and meat and you know and bread. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, but I was, you know, remembering that standing in line for toilet paper, you know, in uh, old Soviet Union. You know, so those those were the times. So for me to adjust and come to you know to experience college life, everything was a wonderful experience. And you got a chance in '92 to play for the Lithuanian national team. Going back. Uh, playing for that team what was that experience like for you to be a part of the the Lithuanian national team well it was you know huge honor and uh, but it took us a long time to get where we got in the Olympics because we had to qualify so it was a qualifying tournament in Spain um, and uh, it we had to play like 11 games to qualify for 92 Olympics and it was unbelievable experience with all that group being together for two months, inseparable, and then travel to Barcelona and uh, to win a bronze medal um, uh, for the country that just got their freedom. Uh, it was special. The, the 92 Olympics is best known around here for the first time. The USA basketball team was put together with pros. Uh, the dream team, uh, seeing them out there, you know, going up against them. I mean, what was that like for you? Well, uh, you know, after my sophomore year, you know, I was a young kid and playing against, uh, you know, players that you watched on the video and you were looking up to. It was great. And then the obviously other special thing is that PJ was assistant coach for that team and was on the sidelines. So, uh, you know, at that time, you know, we we played the dream team and I was like shooting free throw and, you know, looking on the sideline and PJ is like, you know, smirking at me. I think it was uh, one of the special memories that I have from that game. So. Were they, I mean, when, when you look back at Barcelona, were they almost larger than life over there with the, the big names, the birds, the magics, the, the huge personalities? I mean, how big was that USA team during the 92 Olympics? Well, for us, I mean, the, the separation in terms of uh, basketball was so huge at that time in terms of, you know, how much better they were uh, than the rest of the world. Um, so, in order, you know, we, we lost by, you know, 45 or 50 points. I mean, that's given. Um, uh, however, it was a huge, you know, honor to get on the floor with those guys and, you know, and and see what we can do. Obviously, we didn't do much, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know our our uh, most important game was obviously for the bronze where we played unified team and at that time you know ex uh, ex soviet team so you know to win to win a medal um uh, for that that was my most special probably moment in my career did you have a good moment against the USA team was there a I crossed up Chris Mullen, a I took it into against Magic? Well, I had to guard Barkley. It wasn't fun, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was kind of, you know, obviously undersized, this skinny dude trying to, to, to guard Barkley. Um, um, and I fouled out. So, <laughs> so basically what it was you know when you're overmatched physically you know uh, you know i fouled out with uh, a couple of minutes to go in the game arturus hang on for just a second i've got to tell my audience about something that i hate to do and that's shaving uh, i'm not a big fan of shaving i wish i could go through life unshaven five o'clock shadow every single day but for various reasons i have to shave a little bit more oftenly a little bit more often i should say and the secret to that is uh, The Art of Shaving. Founded in New York in 1996, The Art of Shaving has been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. The Art of Shaving has your total routine covered, whether shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance, you name it, they've got it. The Art of Shaving's award-winning products are formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients featuring pure essential oils. The four elements of the perfect shave have been created to deliver smooth results every single day. You finish off the perfect shave with one of their five fragrances, sandalwood, cypress, 
uh, Velveteer Citron. I prefer Green Lavender, a whole bunch more. Each cologne has been carefully assembled for a distinctive scent. The Art of Shaving offers a convenient replenishment service that allows you to save on your favorite products while never having to worry. Here's how you get it. Our listeners will receive 15% off their first order and free shipping. Great deal. By using the promo code MANIX. To get this offer, go online to theartofshaving.com. Use my special promo code MANIX to get 15% off your first order and free shipping. Visit theartofshaving.com for the special offer or for a consultation with a grooming expert, step into one of their many retail locations near you. The 92 team in the Olympics was considered by a lot of people as kind of a a, a moment that changed international basketball when when that team sort of burst onto the international stage. I think everybody saw how good they were and everybody started to try to try to compete after that. I mean, and the gap closed over the next 10 years. The gap closed considerably with Argentina and other countries uh, playing well. What do you think that was that a, a big moment for international basketball in terms of sort of exploding the game, seeing these guys and, and how well they, how great big they were? I'm not sure. I think it just kind of triggered something in international basketball. Uh, there was also more movement in terms of players were coming uh, to play TNBA. There were more and more uh, players coming from Europe and from you know uh, Latin America to play in the league uh, and the it's almost like a new revolution in terms of basketball you know they were they were moving towards I think what around 2000 2002 is when uh, US finally lost mm-hmm. um, 2000 was uh, you know Olympics in Sydney when uh, Lithuania was very close and had a last shot at the buzzer um, to possibly beat U.S., which wasn't manageable in 1992. So the gap closed in, like, in a matter of like eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we start saying that uh, nowadays everybody can play basketball in any country. So, Could you feel, and you also played in 96 for the Lithuanian team, mm-hmm. could you feel any difference in just those four years passing, or was it still not quite... Were they still not quite starting to catch up at that point? Well, we, we again, Lithuania was proud of losing to U.S. by a smallest margin, which was 20 points. And so the gap did close a little bit did there. Did close. It wasn't 50, it was 20 now. So, But it was it was a different feel. It was a different feel. It was, um, you know, you get an, you know, maybe in the uh, next four years, somebody will get closer. Uh but we did feel that uh, we competed better. Um, we knew more, um, and we took another step towards, uh, you know, getting closer to to the U.S. Where do you keep those uh, bronze medals? Um, after a long time keeping in a drawer, uh, my wife kind of uh, framed them. And uh, smart woman, you got <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And uh, took all my medals and uh, framed framed for me. So that was one of the gifts. So uh, they at home. When your when your playing career ended, um, when did the idea of coming back to the U.S., working for the NBA, being involved with the NBA, when did that start to form in your mind? I started forming that idea probably when I was thirty. I did want to be a forty years old uh, player that's trying to figured out what he wants to do with his career and at 40 it's kind of late to start something new and you're not as flexible anymore you get set in your own ways and uh, uh, for me it was uh, a necessity so when I turned 31 and I retired from uh, FC Barcelona that was my last year uh, my son was born in Barcelona as well so um, I wanted to do First, I wanted to go in the financial world and kind of uh, help athletes um, after their careers to stay, you know, uh, to save their money and um, uh, to be successful. Um, so I, I started working for a financial firm at that time called Asante. So it's like a business management firm. Originally came from Canada, was acquiring a- agencies and, you know, buying out business, buying businesses. And uh, um, so I spent a year on um, client 
you know, development uh, site. Um, uh, and after a year, I got a got an offer to to join NBA office. Uh, that was the time of you know the number of players start getting bigger uh, in the league and uh, Kim Bahuni um, uh, that always you know worked you know with Stu Jackson basketball operations and she had this international department. Um, she kind of offered me a job and, and uh, opportunity there, and it was a necessary necessary evil for me. Um, First, I wanted to be close to basketball. Um, second, I wanted to, um, you know, to work at uh, at one point, uh, you know, for the franchise. And um, it took me five years, um, um, you know, that I spent uh, in a league office. And uh, uh, thankfully enough, uh, you know, I had to. It was a boot camp for me of uh, business of basketball. Um, you know, you constantly overworked, but, um, you know, writing reports and, you know, and doing weekly updates and, uh, constantly in the meetings, figuring out it's, it's literally like a setup of, uh, IBM and, um, you know, different departments for marketing to, you know, doing events, uh, with, uh, with different people. So for me, the experience and still, you know, um, keeping, um, updated with uh, federations, uh, with FIBA relationships. Um, it was a uh, you know, huge experience for me. It sounds like it was an around-the-clock type of job over there. It was nonstop. Um, and uh, it was, again, it was necessary for me. I got exposed to so many things, you know, from, you know, being around also lawyers and being around uh, the cap and... Um, and there was a time that, uh, you know, I wanted to make a jump and work for NBA team. Um, and uh, opportunity came in 2008 uh, when I was able to do it uh, with the Houston Rockets. And I uh, was interviewed uh, uh, to join them, um, you know, in as a scout. And uh, I took that opportunity. And that's... I mean, the NBA working in the office is a grind. I would imagine being an international scout is as big a grind, if not more, because you know, knowing what I know about these guys, the, the life on the road is is pretty nonstop as well. Well, uh, life as a scout is obviously a lot of travel. Uh, however, you know, when I joined uh, Houston, I was exposed to a lot of things. You know, not only international scouting, but also college and NBA. NBA games being involved inclusivity was one of the things that I appreciate from you know Daryl Morey and Gerson that you know in that time actually Sam Sam Hinkey was also uh, you know executive and with the with the Rockets inclusivity was you know you included in all decision making and uh, getting experience you know being in the draft room being around trade deadline and being around free agency so you'll learn uh, a lot of things and uh pretty quickly um so you know as you know every year would improve and you know they would give me more and more responsibility so got to the point you know i was you know director of scouting for for the rockets and running you know pre-draft workouts and being more and more involved um with them every every gm is is different they all have their own different philosophies on how to build a team mm -hmm. working in houston under daryl uh, one of the more aggressive general managers I know, always looking, never in the mood to rebuild, always trying to stay above 500 in contention. What did you take away from that experience that 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 stays with you? Well, le learning from uh, from that situation is that you can come up with 60, 80, 100 ideas, and one of them might stick. Uh, but it's a relentless try of trying to make things happen, you know, that I got from experience in Houston is that, you know, uh, other teams, you know, they, they don't want to call and they don't want to kind of lose the negotiations by engaging uh, teams. Uh, it was opposite, you know. They would, uh, again, they would call every team and constantly and, you know, look for ideas how they can make their team better. And that's what I took, and 
still till this day uh, I also believe and you know come up with a hundred ideas maybe one will stick mm -hmm. so um, that's what I took from from the Rockets working in Denver it seems like it's a, a similar type of atmosphere that you know Tim and and, and Josh Kroenke they seem like a very inclusive bunch that that encourages that type of uh, a type of that atmosphere well, absolutely. You know, you're trying to develop uh, your personnel as well, you know, by including them in, you know, decision making and, you know, ability to voice their opinions, even if uh, they are the only ones that believe in it. Um, you know, that can trigger ideas as well. So, you know, Tim, you know, Tim has been, uh, you know, unbelievable also in this situation. And I think we work well together, um, complement each other. Um, you know he's a, you know Savan and he he's a very good uh, talent evaluator and uh, um, you know working together with him the last four years has been a blast. He's also a huge fan of professional wrestling. You know, like <laughs> WWE major fan. Of it's almost a sickness. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Ask him about <laughs> ask him about the. Gorgeous ladies of wrestling, glow, glow G L O W. Sometime you'll you have to put aside half an hour because he'll talk to you about it. Oh, he's he's a very very versatile person because he knows the, the news, he knows about basketball, he knows about different sports. He's you know he's very uh, informative. So tell me about the last what the last few months have been like for you. Um, dating back to last year, you were in the mix for the job in Brooklyn. Uh, you were part of the interview process in Milwaukee for their open GM job. You wind up staying in Denver with that promotion uh, to general manager. What were the last few months like for you? Well, it's been um, tough and it's been intense, um, you know, going through uh, interview process with Milwaukee was uh, exciting. Uh, at the same time, you know, it was kind of tough because of timing right before the draft and you know Tim and the group was kind of leaving me out it was getting a little bit awkward but uh worked out that you know that that Josh you know walked in and uh um, made an offer and uh, you know my family was excited I was excited to stay to stay with Tim to stay with the group to stay with the franchise and uh a cranky family and uh, I'm thankful what have you learned about the the interview process over the last couple of years? I mean, it's it's not as simple as this guy's the right guy for the job. There are a lot of politics involved in in, in all these in, in different ways in all these teams. Well, I'm sure it is, and each uh, each ownership looking for different things. Uh, I'm never trying to guess what they're looking for. I'm just trying to sell myself. And my experiences, and you know what I've been through, and uh, what I can offer them, uh, and then see if that sticks. You know, and uh, you know it's, it's been a learning experience for me going through all these interviews. But um, uh, and it's been a blast. And obviously, I'm um, just to be considered. Uh, it's 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 an honor. So you know, can't complain. Do you have a? a general philosophy on the best way to build a team. I mean, you've worked for different people that have had different ideas. I mean, even in Houston, Daryl had one idea about how to build a team. You, mm -hmm. Sam Henke took the job in Philly, did it a completely different way. Um, in, in a general sense, do you? What, what are your basically guiding principles to building an NBA team? I think you take away from each situation certain things, but you build your own you know, kind of world and how you would do things. You don't become them, uh, people that you work for. I think you just take things away uh, and, uh, you know, apply it in your own setting. So I think I would be, you know, obviously different uh, by doing things. But, you know, inclusivity for me is, is, is a huge thing, is, you know, hiring, um, you know, intelligent, uh, passionate people. Uh, you know, it's another uh, thing of mine and, you know, just being fair with people and uh, put them in a position to do their jobs, you know, not to, you know, micromanage them, you know. Uh, so it's just, uh, I think with uh, personnel and surrounding uh, yourself with people is, is the way you do with the players. You're trying to project what they're going to be in two, three years. 
and hopefully you select play, you know personnel that have a potential to be you know GM Sosa in the future, mm-hmm. and you're gonna help them to get there, and then be proud when they you know obviously accomplish that. So gets harder and harder to project players, doesn't it, with, with it, how young they are when they're coming to this league? It is, but it's fun, and uh, you know you have your kind of database in your head and your mistakes and your successes and you just take away from each uh, situation and you know what I said wrong or you know about the player that I said he's going to make it and he didn't uh, what were the reasons um, you know you, you know in success stories you know how you know there's a lot of luck obviously involved and Tim and I admitted to that as you know all the time is you know you, you just make informative decisions and then hopefully that will stick and you know the luck is is part of it you stay in denver and you know you go back to the team and it's it's basically all out basketball war in the western conference right now i mean what's it like as an executive to be operating in a conference where you could build a team that wins 47 48 games and that team might not make the playoffs in a conference that's as deep as I think it's ever been uh, in its recent history. Well, it's insane. I mean, we we figured that out and uh, during the draft, you know, the you know Minnesota's got Jimmy and uh, you know uh, OKC got you know Paul George and um, now we got you know Paul Millsap. So each team is looking, you know, for best player available and how they can make their team better and uh, give them the best chance to win and I think in the West now it's becoming more and more difficult to win games and uh, hopefully in the future you know we've had conversations with a lot of executives is that you know for the players they're going to take you know 16 best teams or eight best teams in the West and uh, do it that way. Hang on for another minute, Arturis. I've got to tell my listeners about Quicken Loan and specifically Rocket Mortgage. Support for the Vertical Podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage just at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Do you think that day is coming where we could see the NBA playoffs seeded 1-16? to 16? Because the argument against, obviously, from the NBA is that, oh, it's it's cyclical. It'll, it'll turn back around. But it hasn't turned back around in really more than 10 years. And if you look at some of these teams out there, yours included – it's going to be a while before the Eastern Conference uh, catches up. Do you think that we're that that's a realistic possibility that we could see one to sixteen seeded in the playoffs? Well, I hope so. Um, again, you know, I don't know the expectations now that the West is going to be you know brutally better than the East, but it, it happens you know every year that you know it's it's not as lopsided. So we'll find out. But hopefully in the future we'll see uh, seeding and, you know, the best 16 teams. I would think it's easier nowadays just because, I mean, you know, 20 years ago teams were traveling commercial sometimes uh, to get places. Now you're putting guys on private jets with catered meals on it. It's not as – it's still physically taxing if you have first-round Miami against Portland for some some reason. But – Less so maybe because of all the luxuries that players enjoy these days. Oh, especially like, you know, we, we in Denver, we centrally located. So <laughs> for us to go anywhere as, uh, you know, pre, pre, you know, the same, same time travel. So I don't think that would be logistically challenging. Mm-hmm. I think it's just that, you know, the idea of putting, you know, for playoffs, best 16 teams, uh, that's the idea. 
You guys were in a dogfight last year for that last playoff spot in the Western Conference. Portland winds up getting it, and they got it with a lot of help from a guy that was traded there, Yusuf Nurkic, mm-hmm. going from from Denver to Portland. Did it did it sting at all watching Nurkic develop into the into that sort of center that that Portland needed and and certainly helped them get to where they they got? Well, it did. Um, you know it. First, I thought that, you know, 40 wins will be enough to make the playoffs. And, you know, Portland had other ideas. And Damien and CJ played at such a high level. And Nurk has been huge help for them uh, to make that push for the playoffs, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, it was disappointing because I thought it was great for our uh, young core to experience playoffs. And especially feeling that, you know, we matched up so well with Golden State. Uh, just played them, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before that and beat them at home. So kind of uh, it would have been an exciting experience for our uh, our crew um, to go through because, the, you know, there's not a lot of players, you know, on our team that have been in the playoffs and, you know, know what the winning is like. People look at that that deal and you know, they say, oh, man, they gave this guy away. But it, it was unrealistic to think that Nurkic and Jokic could – in other words, Jokic, Nurkic would not have played as well as he played alongside Jokic. They just, they, their skills, it seemed to me, just were too compatible. They were too similar in the way that they played the game. Putting him in Portland as a legitimate five – open things up for him, I would think, in ways that it could never have in Denver. Well, I agree. I agree in that they're both, uh, you know, great centers. It's just, uh, you know, um, when we made that decision, you know, to start Nicola and, you know, December 15th, you know, since then, you know, for the rest of the season, we, we had the best offense and we had to just roll with it. You know, uh, we were, I think we were 29 and 22, uh, since that, uh, and again, Nurk Nurk is a s- starting five mm-hmm. in our league. You know, it's hard to find uh, players like that, three hundred pounds that move like a guard, uh, with the skill set that he has. You know, so it was, you know, it was a very difficult decision to make. Jokic is a bona fide franchise player in this league, and you guys are beginning the process of building around his skills. But he was a guy that. A lot of teams passed on second round draft pick. What did people miss about him uh, that f- caused him to fall? Do you think to the second round? Well, I think a lot of people were had a hard time imagining him with lack of athleticism, uh, how he would do in in our league. I think that's the only thing. I mean, the skill set was very visible at that time, and he came to Hoop Summit. You know, it's you know he practiced and played the game. It's not like nobody saw him. Mm-hmm. And we saw something different. I think a lot of uh, you know our group. We watched extensive tapes of Nicola. Uh, also watched extensive tapes of Marcus Sol when he was 19, and uh, you know how his body looked and how his his game translated into our league. So I think that was the main uh, focus of ours. And you know, taking a chance at you know 41 that Nicola was obviously. A uh, very small risk, um, but a uh, very high reward. Did he remind you of Marcus Saul from in the early days? Well, I think just the awkwardness and uh, you know, uh, not a great athlete. How does he make it in our league? You know, and, uh, and and then Mark was similar because he went through you know growing pains. Obviously, you know, played high school in Memphis and then going back to to Spain and playing there until you know until his most recent success in Girona and Barcelona, so before he made a jump uh, to the NBA. So I think Nicola is the same way. I think just as, you know, how awkward he's physically and, you know, but he gets the things done and how skilled he is in a post, you know, in the elbow, um, how he sees and passes and advances the ball. You know, I, I played with, you know, with Sabonis, who I thought, was one of the best, you know, passing, you know, bigs. And I think Nicola surpassed him just because he can go coast to coast mm-hmm. <laughs> with that kind of skill. So um, we got lucky with that one. 
I was always I always thought that the American public missed out on seeing the best of Sabonis early in his career. They got a he was a good player when he got to Portland and helpful to them towards the end, but he was something special in his prime. Well, I think so. I think if in the eighties he would have made that jump, I think um, uh, that would have been great because he came to the league when he was thirty-one, uh, already had two Achilles injuries and knee, and just uh, uh, we saw, you know, uh, Sabonis at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. What's it like to see his son playing in the NBA? No, it makes me feel old. <laughs> you know, his son, you know, Dolan was born also in Portland. So, um, but I always was saying, you know, to Sabonis, you know, I, I watched you when I was a kid, you know, looking up to you. I played with you in the national team for seven years. And and then, you know, I actually retired and he was still playing for Portland. You know, like, <laughs> dude, you know, you're playing for a very long time. You guys, uh, as I mentioned, you're, you're trying to build the team around Jokic and find guys that played his strengths. You get a guy in, in Paul Millsap um, who, who looks like a, is like the perfect fit alongside him, can space the floor a little bit, brings a, a different level of versatility. What was it that you, you liked about Millsap in that power forward role? Well, it's very exciting, first of all, you know, to have him. And uh, it, it seems, you know, that they're very complementary uh, each other. You know, it. Um, you know, Paul can shoot from a three. He can pass. He's he's, he's very skilled. Um, at the same time, is has been you know four time All Star and uh, um, somebody that we you know um, didn't have in the, in our locker room. And uh, again, you know, you you have a lot of young guys in that locker room. You know, from you know Jamal to Manuel. Gary's 22, Nicole's 21. So there's a lot of uh, young players there, and they need that kind of guidance. And the, I think he's going to add a leadership role there besides his skill set. Um, um, so I think we're going to be very versatile, um, you know, offensively, again, <laughs> to being very good uh, offensively uh, for the most of the year. Uh, we're going to have to figure it out uh, defensively, uh, schematically, and uh um, to 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 be better. You have so. to make the playoffs before you worry about who you beat in the playoffs. But as you're building a team, how much is the presence of Golden State on your mind? A team that's in its prime, that barring injury, the next four or five years is is probably going to be extraordinarily tough to beat. It is discouraging, you know, kind of in a way. Um, you think that this team might stay together for a long time, but. Uh, but we worry more about us now and, again, trying to get, uh, you know, uh, back to the playoffs and to get our fan base excited. And, uh, you know, we've got to have to take step by step. So we'll focus on us for now, um, try to build a team that can get us back in the playoffs, and then, the, the, you know, we'll figure it out the rest once we're there. When you see Barkley, does he remember your defense from 92? Probably not. No. <laughs> Probably was easy. It's too easy. Do you have any pictures of you playing against the Dream Team guys? Yes, I do. And actually, in Lithuania, they made uh, these booklets for school kids um, with Olympic athletes on, you know, on uh, cover. And my kids actually have still a couple of them that is left over. And one of the pictures uh, is me guarding Barkley. So <laughs> I know he doesn't remember that, but, you know, it's, uh, it was a blast for me. See, you so. got to blow that up and put it next to your medals there. You got to have a little wall. I mean, well, I have a photo of uh, actually jumping and trying to block Barkley. Um, and I always say, you know, that actually happened. <laughs> um, so I have a photo. What was the end result of that play? I don't even remember. <laughs> it was a blur. You know, Did you get a block? It was a in that long game? night. <laughs> it was a long night for us. So, you know, and probably I've, I'm I'm the guy that is uh, well known. Uh, you know, after I fouled out, sitting on the sidelines taking pictures of Dream Team. So that's that's. Were my. you actually taking pictures on the sidelines? Yes. You know, it's 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 you know you're looking at those athletes that you know you were as a kid watching, and you know that that's the reason why you're playing basketball, and so. So I was sitting, you know, 
and you know nobody's taking pictures you know you know sitting on the sideline actually on the floor next to the <laughs> next to the bench you know taking pictures oh well Arturis, uh thanks for doing this yeah. and uh congratulations on all your success I appreciate uh, it. best of luck with denver uh this year and i hope you get a little bit of rest this summer it's been a crazy off season so far thank you that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Arturis Karnishevas for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.